At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Train News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and who do we have on the line today? Dan Lyons in the building. Jim Simmons. Jim, first time calling in. Yeah, a little nervous here. Not to be nervous about it. We don't fight. I'm also getting an echo on audio. Everybody else hearing that? Yeah. Just a little bit. All right. Well, we'll continue. Hopefully I are talking less and then everybody else's audio can uh, ride on in over that. So, first of all, Mets got Schaefer yesterday and completely lived up to everything you would think he would be. He's the best. He's so good. Oh, he is. I mean, hilarious. Like, he'd be the type of guy that you'd have a great time drinking with all night. <laughs> like, hilarious guy, tons of stories. And, like, the, the cool thing is, like, he actually genuinely cares about every single person in the room and, like, makes it very obvious. And, like, you can see, like, I mean, just the passion behind he has behind his team, the the passion he has for these kids and, and, and these kids getting a good education is actually, like, it doesn't mean, I mean, I know it's his job, but at the same time, like, it doesn't sound like BS at all. Like, it's, he believes in this. He lives and breathes the whole, you know, like, his his job as a coach, as a teacher, and to me, like, I I just found it really cool to, to meet someone like that, especially, like, you know, I felt like that's kind of opposite of what Marone was toward the end, and, I mean, obviously opposite of what Beheim has always been. Um, not to say he doesn't care about the players, but... You know, Behan doesn't doesn't try to seem like the warmest guy in the room, and for Schaefer to just kind of control the room and really just like, you know, openly take questions from everybody. I even got to ask him about the secondary and what the hell was going on last year. That's what his program needs to do. A good ambassador. I'm sorry. What was that? It's funny because there was an article in the. Oh, go ahead, Jim. No, go ahead, man. Uh, I was saying there was an article in the Post Standard, uh, I think early this week or last week, where Schaefer, Schaefer's wife, Missy, talked about the first year as, as of, you know, stop being head coach and her being the head coach's wife. And ever, and she said that, like, a bunch of people told him that he would hate that part of the job, and I'm assuming a bunch of people means Doug Marone, um, who we should point out, you know, say that I'm sure we all hope, you know, nothing, nothing but the best for Marone after we found out about that. Cancerous mole yesterday, but anyway, um, you know, obviously Marone didn't love the whole, you know, trying to be both a coach and an ambassador and a fundraiser and everything else that that require that the position of head coach requires. But it seems like Schaefer's really embraced it, and it's funny because Marone came in as the as the um, you know the alum, and he seemed like the natural fit for what 
you know, a head coach has to do off the field. But Schaefer, who's, you know, not from the Syracuse area, has no prior connection to, to Syracuse, seems to almost embrace the university community more than Marone did, For, which is fine. I mean, I get that, that not every coach is going to want to do that kind of stuff, but it, it's always nice when a coach does, and it seems like Schaefer really gets what he has to do and seems to genuinely enjoy talking to Syracuse fans. I haven't had the chance to meet him. Um, I asked him at Marone a number of times, and he was always very gracious to me, but um, I really hope I get to, to talk to Stout like you had the chance to because he seems like just an excellent guy. I mean, completely, like, I, like I said, you know, high character, and I started writing something today, but work got in the way, so I'm going to try to get that uh, up tomorrow, which for all the podcast listeners would be today. Um, just quick notes about the experience. Got a picture with them, got to see the uniforms up close, and they actually look a lot better up close. Yeah, I actually, um, I I don't like I, I have no problem. The uniforms I actually like them a lot, with the exception of the numbers. I I really can't get around that elongated number on the front. I just don't get it. I don't think it looks good. It's funny we because I'll were... oh, go for it, Dan. <laughs> we can't we can't stop talking over each other tonight. Um, <laughs> no, it's funny because I think the worst looking number in that font is forty four. Because every that. other number that doesn't have a long bottom, so I guess one and four are issues and maybe nine. But most numbers don't have that issue because they're all more rounded or, or squared off. So 44 is actually probably one of the worst-looking numbers in the Syracuse jerseys, which is really Syracuse of us <laughs> and really funny. <laughs> yeah, we all, it was funny. We all said that yesterday. Um, we were all talking about it in general. And, you know, they only had three uniforms. They had um, – Cam Lynch's, Carol Hunt's, and uh, and uh, Sean Hickey's uniforms there. So, you know, no fours to be found. But we were all saying, like, up close, like, these all seem fine. <laughs> but it was just, we, we all said the same thing. It was that number four that just just really didn't look great. Um, and, you know, everyone was being typically, like, cagey about um, the, the uh, orange uniforms and all. I mean, everyone confirmed that they're going to be happening, but no one would, would give a commitment to when. And I, I, I don't blame them for, for not giving that away yet. But it's also cool how how much, like, Oregon has had a factor in all this. I mean, we all know, like, obviously Oregon's kind of like Nike's pilot school to, like, test out all this stuff. But, you know, we have actually have a lot of, like, former Oregon ducks in our, uh, in our uh, athletics department now, and a lot of them really, you know, really, you know help play a hand here. And, uh, you know, help influence the design and really, like, you know, it, it was the exact same way that they approached it, the same way that Baylor's approached things, the same way a lot of other schools have. You know, it's about the recruits, it's about the kids wearing the uniforms and the ones that are going to wear the uniforms and you know, rave reviews so far, which is really all I can ask for. It's funny because I was, I was doing a thing on uh, Miami had new uniforms released, I think, maybe – a couple of days before we did, and they had a similar thing happen that we do with the orange jerseys where um, uh, images of a green helmet, which actually looked really good, leaked, and Miami didn't deny that they existed or that they were real. They were just like, yeah, we have these, but we're not going to wear them this year. <laughs> we're like, everyone's like, oh, why? Great. And it's just funny because that's two different schools that have gotten major, um, if not rebrands, just big jersey unveilings in a very small period of time and what people have considered at least one of the best items in the entire jersey is 
straight up not available this season, which is just strange decision making. But you know, I'm sure we'll we'll get over it in time. And hopefully, the orange jerseys will come this year. But if not, hopefully they'll definitely come in 2015. I may, as long as we see them. All right, so I guess let's do uh, let me do some lacrosse first. Way Jim can uh, can show off his expertise. So Jim, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, we have, I, I think we have another case of you know Syracuse kind of taking a while to to get their sea legs um, in a season and then kind of getting hot at the right time. Now I guess the question is, is this going to be a tournament flameout or is this going to be? Uh, you know, another run towards the final four. Um, obviously, we've played really well lately, but, you know, what do you think has, has been the biggest key um, towards the recent orange run, and, and how do you like our chances um, in the ACC tournament? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, as tough as it, is, as it is to go back to it, like, you can't stop looking at the face-offs, especially through those first, uh, those, those first seven games. Um, I mean, Chris Daddio really picked it up over the last five, um, you know, at one point against uh, against Hopkins, he had a 16% win percentage. Um, since then, though, he's been pretty phenomenal, especially against Notre Dame, where um, you know they're playing Liam O'Connor, who's one of the best face-off guys. I think he's number nine in the country, and they really uh, he really took it to him pretty hard. But you know, other than the face-offs, the guys on the wings they're they're picking up the ground balls. Um, clears have been a lot better. Turnovers are down still. Still high, higher than you'd like them to be, but turnovers have been uh, have been down, and basically they're just getting the ball to the offense. Um, you know, they've got one of the best offenses in the country when they get the ball, and uh, you know, through those first seven, that really, you know, they weren't seeing a lot of time uh, time with the ball, and that was a huge problem. Um, in net, I, I mean, there's no problems. I just, I simply don't like a two goalie system, but it's one of those situations where you've got two guys who are just too good to sit. Yeah, either one of them. Um, the attack has been great. Uh, stats has really stepped up big time. I mean, you guys saw it against Hobart. And, uh, probably couldn't watch the game, but I was listening to it at least against uh, Cornell. I mean, he had, he had a heck of a game against against the Big Red. But um, overall, I'm really impressed. Uh, last five, and I think the changes, you know, to that second midfield line and to the first attack line, you know, it's kind of rotating a couple guys in and out of there over the last few games has really uh, made an effect. Nice. No, I mean, and that's – for for those of us who follow the team, but obviously not as in-depth as you, um, it, it's good to get a little bit more of that background. Dan, I know that you also follow the team a little bit clo- more closely than I do. Uh, so, so do you agree with everything Jim said? Do you think there's, that there's anything else going on? I think you pretty much hit on everything. It's it's really been nice to see Daddio have bounced back because he's really I mean, he's been on the team for a while now. He's not a freshman or anything. And he's really struggled over the years, um, at least at consistency. And it's it's great because like Jim said, not only has he been getting face offs or winning the face offs on a consistent basis, but he's been doing it against other really good face off guys. It's not like we just ran into a stretch of, of weak face off teams. Uh, he's been doing it against some of the better ones in the sport. So if this if this continues, I thought the the Syracuse offense has been good all year. Um, the games where we struggled have been because we just haven't been able to gain possession. Um, and I thought our defense struggled a little bit early on in the season. But it seems like we're clicking 
at the right time, and I'm not sure if we'll be able to knock off Duke in the ACC tournament because they're very good. Um, but a, I don't think it'll be the game that last team will be in the team's head because you know Syracuse lacrosse seems to do well with overcoming adversity like that. And and B, even if even if we uh, we don't beat Duke, we're in a very good position, I think, for a solid seed in the NCAA's. Where three weeks ago or four weeks ago, you know, the NCAA's did not look like a certainty at all. So I think um, I think even uh, I think Pat Patrick Stewart, uh, Stevens on Syracuse South Hollywood said we were possibly in the contention for a one seed if we were to win the ACC, and probably it might end up being whoever wins that tournament gets it. Um, so. It's it's bounced from a really disappointing year to uh, what seems like another classic Syracuse season in a very quick amount of time, and it's it should be fun. I mean, I love having great lacrosse in the spring, especially you know once basketball's over and football takes forever to get here. So always nice to have that third team uh, competing for a championship. Yeah, it was such a difference watching uh, that Maryland game, which was. Probably one of the worst live lacrosse games I've ever had to sit through, and then you know going to UNC where uh, that game was just awesome. I, you know, if you haven't watched, I think it's on you know, ESPN three, and you can take a look. It's just it was so much fun to to be at, and it was just great to watch. But as far as Duke goes, I think they win the ACC tournament, and you just kind of got to hope you don't get matched up with them in the bracket. Um, I think they're the national champion champion this year. Uh, it's just basically that attack is so good. The attack in that first midfield line, uh, I think the big problem is Miles Jones. That's going to be our big problem, at least, uh, trying to match up with him. You know, he almost begs for a double team. He's so big. He's, he's six foot four, I think. Um, you know, he'll just bully his defenders and put, basically push them over with his shoulder, and, and that shot he's got is an absolute rocket. And, you know, if he's defended well, they've got Josh Dion, who just sneaks up on the crease, and, of course, Jordan Wolf, who's got incredible ability to dodge from behind. So, you know, they're loaded all over. I mean, can't even forget about Deemer Class, who's got an absolute rocket, too, and he's a good outside shooter. Um, it's just it's going to be a challenge for uh, Syracuse to kind of match up their long poles, and you know, they're really going to have to rely heavily on that on that defensive midfield unit. Miles Jones is terrifying. I remember watching the first yeah. game, and I looked up. He's not only, he's, what, 19 years old, he's 6'4", 240. He's bigger than any linebacker on the Syracuse roster. Like he's just—he's ridiculous. Like, and, he, and it's so noticeable when he's out there. Like, I remember when he first checked in in the first Syracuse Duke game. He's just so much bigger than everyone else on the field. Um, so hopefully, I mean, I'm not sure who who else he's going to use on him, but he's just a, a nightmare. Yeah, I think um, I think they're going to put Mullins on Wolf, but I, I just. I don't know how you don't put a long pull on Jones at this point. You, you gotta. Yeah, I, I was almost thinking maybe put Mullins on on him, but but obviously I think Wolf's the more talented scorer at this point. But Mullins is probably one of the only ones who can even come like near that size. Yeah. yeah. So you guys seem sold on on Duke, not only in the ACC tournament, um, but but I mean Jim, you mentioned them as, as a likely national championship team. Um, I mean, who do you guys think are, are the are the couple maybe contenders that can take that from them? I mean, to me, um, I think only like two teams really stand out. I mean, I'd love for Syracuse to be able to put it together. And if we're gonna if we're gonna ex- excel at faceoff the way we have been lately, um, then I think it's a possibility. But I think to me, outside of Syracuse, uh, some teams that are certainly knocking on the door um, are Loyal and Denver. 
Um, Denver, Denver, I'm a little suspect of because of their schedule this year. I mean, the Big East has really been pretty terrible, um, and it's given Denver um, a pretty simple conference schedule, um, even easier probably than than their, uh, their previous ECAC days and everything. Um, and then Loyola, I mean, Loyola just Loyola knows when and how to score, but they can also play, you know, those grinded-out games. I mean, they had several this year against Colgate and maybe an Army and Duke, like, just these, like, not even Duke, I'd say, like, Army or, like, Georgetown, like, some real grinded-out games, but at the same time, like, they've scored 20 goals a couple times. <laughs> like, this is a team that seems to be able to adjust to, um, you know, their opponent in whatever game uh, is laid out for them. So, uh, I guess we'll start with you, Dan. Um, outside of Duke, who do you see as a, as a potential title contender? Um, I think Maryland's pretty good. I mean, they beat Duke earlier this year uh, before Duke really got rolling. Um, and they, you know, they they do a lot of things very well. They're 10-2 and two this year, 4-1 in the ACC. So they're they're pretty impressive. Um, otherwise, I think you, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of elite teams this year. I think it's, it, like you said, Denver is, is up there, but, you never really know what you're going to get from them, and, and their schedule is suspect. It's also hilarious that they're in the Big East because conference <laughs> realignment never makes sense no matter what sport it is. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, I think I think we touched on, on a lot of them. I think the ACC overall is very strong, but I don't know about a Virginia or a Notre Dame this year. So I think Maryland-Duke, um, maybe uh, Maryland are all contenders, and then not totally, you know, I haven't watched enough of the other teams this year. I haven't had uh, as much time as I usually do to watch lacrosse, but uh, I think you touched on a couple of the other decent ones. Loyola's always been good the last, you know, in recent memory, and they're always tough out. And then you never know. I mean, it seemed like last year we had a couple surprise teams sneak into uh, late into the tournament. So hopefully we get more of that um, as long as it doesn't interrupt Syracuse's run. I always I always enjoy seeing some fresh blood uh, get, you know, make runs and Garner interest. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's a really good. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, it's fine, Jim. You can go I, I mean, I, I agree. Duke is, uh, Duke is my number one. You know, I like Loyola, but I, I don't. Yeah, you put them in the ACC, and I don't think they, uh, I don't think they're, you know, 12-1. and one. Although, realistically, they should be 13-0. and 0. In that first game, they lost by a goal with you know a second left of Virginia, you know when they, Virginia tied it up and they went to overtime and Virginia beat them. I don't think they they win the national championship, but uh, you know, you can't rule them out. Denver, they've got a win over Notre Dame. Otherwise, you know uh, they lost to Penn. Penn's a you know pretty solid team. And I, I like them in the top ten, but I, they're not going to you know championship weekend. I still think you got to watch out for UNC. I think they're a very, very talented team. Um, overall, though, you know, I think UNC, Duke, Syracuse, they're only going to lose to another ACC team. I, I don't think any other team has the ability to kick them out of the tournament, uh, especially if Syracuse is playing well like they have been. Uh, but, yeah, Duke's my number one. You know, I, I kind of think UNC might be my number two, but, Maryland, they've got a balanced team, but that game last weekend against Hopkins really, uh, really showed me a lot. You know, they they went down early four nothing and just 
couldn't find it. Um, that that made me a little suspect about them. Notre Dame, I I don't think Notre Dame is as good as uh, as good as they they started off the season looking. So solid. No, I, I definitely agree with all of that. Um, and then I guess shifting away from the top of of the bracket, um, we're not going to go through all eight at large teams, but. Um, assuming the chalk plays out in, in all these conference tournaments, um, you know, we mentioned Syracuse, Maryland, North Carolina, um, you know, all, all seem like locks to, to take at large bids. So that's three off the table. You know, there's still there's still five more out there. Um, do we think that Virginia and Notre Dame can take two of them? Um, and then who else? I mean, you know, there's definitely not a – I'd say as far as, like, you know, expanding the field, this isn't the the strongest test for the committee. I, I'd say there's no more than maybe nine teams, if if chalk plays out, that really, really deserve um, to be in that field. Um, but obviously if there's a few tournament upsets, then the entire thing gets shaken up. Um, so, Jim, who are, who are maybe, like, the, the three at-large team, non-ACC at-large teams um, that, that – that you not only see getting getting in, but that could also potentially make some noise with the right matchup. Yeah, I think um, I think really the other interesting league right now is uh, is uh, the Ivy League. You've got Cornell, you've got Harvard, you've got Penn and Yale. I think out of those four, Yale's probably my weakest. Penn, I think, like I said, deserves that top ten ranking. Um, I, I don't know how good they are. They, you know, I, I think they beat Denver. I'm not 100 percent sure, but Harvard Harvard has shown some really bright spots this season too. Um and Cornell you know, they were good and then they were bad. Um I think Cornell probably wins the Ivy League and I you get at least one more Ivy team in, but because it's such a weak year, I think Cornell, Harvard and Penn could all get in. Uh with Harvard and Penn getting in off um off uh, at large bids. In uh America East Conference you know, Albany looks so good to start off the year. Like, I was talking to someone about this today. They're almost like a gimmicky team. You know, Blaze Reardon is really good in net. I think he's a great goaltender. Um, but really that team is basically that, that starting Thompson trio up front. Um, and they'll score a ton of goals sometimes. Sometimes they won't. You know, the score could be 25 for them, or they could, you know, Albany could end the game with 10. But the midfield's not very good. Defense is pretty poor. Um I I think it's going to be interesting to see if they can even win the American East Conference. Uh, I don't think they get in in that large bit. ECAC is just weak all around. I think Fairfield makes it in on the uh, on the uh, uh, AQ, but other than that, I don't think anyone does. Uh, Loyola is going to win the Patriot. Army or Lehigh may get an invite, but I don't think so. For I mean, for ACC, I think all six teams get in because of how bad a year it is, though. And by that, Dan, you? Um, I think Harvard's an interesting one. They uh, they're ranked this week. They've they're they're only eight and five. Unless they've played a game since here, I'm actually looking at at Blood site College Cross, which is an excellent site. Um, but they seem like they've been knocking on the door for a couple of years now, um, and it just seems like uh, they haven't quite put it together where they can enter that top tier in Ivy League play. It doesn't help that Cornell's been a pretty elite program for the most part. But uh, they're an interesting one to watch. And then um, I think we – I don't know if we brought up Drexel, who has been 
mm. playing pretty good lacrosse as well. I'm not sure if they're in a position to where they would take a or what their you know at, at large situation is, but um, I think they could be a one to watch in one of those uh, those first round games. I think they're pretty dangerous. Yeah, 100%. Drexel only lost to Virginia by one to start the season. Um, I was really high on them at the beginning, but uh, towards the middle of the season they had some trouble. But they've gone on, I think, five straight so far in the last five. It's funny. The one team that nobody has brought up yet, and they were actually a dark horse for me last year, um, late Yale, who who I think, you know, is, is one of the better, um, what's it called, Ivy League teams. And, you know, they still have that game uh, coming up against Harvard. I mean, win that, and suddenly, you know, Yale's riding a six-game winning streak. They're 10-3, and three, and I'd be hard-pressed, you know, to leave them out of the field uh, necessarily. Have an RPI, like, probably around top 10. Strange schedule is not amazing, but there's a lot of teams that we're considering that may not have a great strength of schedule. Um and their top 20 numbers aren't, like, stellar either. But overall, like, you know, Yale's an interesting team. Um, they are a real grinded-out squad for the most part. But, you know, two straight years, Yale's put a really interesting product on the field. And and I think if, if Yale can – I don't even think Yale needs to win the Ivy uh, to get in. I think if Yale can, can win one game in the Ivy tournament, um, I, I think that should seal the deal uh, for, for a large bit for them. I mean, I, I've really – I've only watched, like, pieces of games here and there, and then for the most part just in reading recaps. Um, but, uh, you know, Conrad Oberbeck has just been to be an absolute force, and, uh, you know, has, has uh, Brandon Megan, both of them have just really, you know, kind of led the charge for this team. I mean, yeah, they're very top-heavy when it comes to um, offensive contributors, but I, I do really like uh, both of those guys, and I do like Yale given the right matchup. I just pulled up the dreadful schedule um, because you brought it up. Their last loss was on March 22nd to Hofstra. They lost by two. Um, but then since then, they've beaten St. Joe's, Delaware, Penn State, uh, UMass, which is a nice win, and then Towson. And then they should close out with a win at High Point on Friday. So they'll be 10-4 uh, and four heading into the CAA semis. Um, not sure who they're going to be matched up with there, but they uh, – I think they're they're pretty primed to to get in this field and and I mean their worst loss this year was twelve to six to Bryant and seeing that it's Bryant I'm assuming they just couldn't get the ball so and then the other two they lost to Villanova by one in overtime they lost to Virginia by one they lost to Hofstra by two like this is a team that really turned around in some solid teams they beat Albany um, so I, I think they're uh, they're one to watch I. So hope they don't get matched up with SU, but I think Syracuse should be able to take care of whoever they get in that first round either way. Yeah, of course, goes without saying Hopkins will be in, and I think Hopkins could be dangerous. I don't think they make that uh, that championship weekend either, but they've got some good scores. Um, you know, they can fire. You know, Ryan Brown from outside is is pretty sick, as we saw. You know, he destroyed us for I think, five goals. Um, they're a very good team, too. Agreed. You know, I, I think this could be interesting uh, this year. Cause they, I, you know, we said it earlier. Some of the teams at the top really have played, like, some, some suspect schedules, and that leaves, you know, that, that leaves a lot of questions. I mean, you said, you know, looking at some auto-bid teams, Denver, 28th 
strength of schedule. Albany is 26th. Air Force getting an auto bid with 51st. Siena 53. St. Joe's 60. High Point 46. Like, there's a lot of teams in this field that are going to be, you know, less than stellar. And, and to see, you know, strength of schedule numbers like that on a team like Denver that could potentially, you know, contend for a top, you know, one, two, or three seed, um, that, that starts setting off some red flags, especially when you have, you know, a really strong ACC field, a team like Hopkins, a team like UPenn um, hanging out there. So I, I think, I mean, I, I think any tournament, and whether it's lacrosse or or college baseball or women's basketball, like things need to stop going chalk in the early rounds in order to start generating more interest. Um, and I think, you know, we saw some of it last year. I think, I think Dan was right earlier in the program. We're going to see even more of it this year. Should make for a fun uh Fun few weekends and a fun Memorial Day weekend, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think. Go ahead. I think there are there are, there are enough good teams this year that maybe couldn't make a run to the to the Final Four, but can beat the top programs. Where the sport's really been, I think, especially with the, with the shot clock. Now that we've kind of gotten past the stall ball era of a couple of years ago, um, I think the sport's really prone to, or uh, or primed rather to. Uh, take the next step, especially if we can generate some excitement um, in those first weekends. Uh, I think the, the only issue is that you got to get those fan bases on board. Um, you got to make the winning that first game a big deal. I know it's worked out in Denver, and I know they're pretty lacrosse crazy out there, but hopefully some of these other small programs, um, especially those in non-classical cross areas like a High Point or a Jacksonville or you know the schools down south, um, or if they start, you know, launching programs elsewhere in Michigan and Marquette, hopefully that that'll really help, you know, get this thing rolling because there's some. I think the, the sport's in a really good place. Uh, I think it's been pretty exciting the last couple of years, um, and hopefully we see a rebound in, in Final Four attendance numbers and everything. But uh, I've always been an advocate of of trying to get more teams involved here. So hopefully, if with more programs being good enough to play at the top, we, we see the fan bases come out too and support support these teams. Yeah, I think one of one of across's biggest problems right now is just that it, it you know, with the big expansion that's happened, you know, they've got a lot more teams suddenly and I just don't know if they have the individual talent that's that can uh handle being spread out over such like a wide variety of schools. You know, you've got now you've got schools like you know, Michigan and Ohio State, Penn State, you know, big time schools that are that can attract some good talent coming in. They're they're pulling, you know, some of that better talent away from the traditional across powers. And then of course you've got like a you know conference like the Atlantic Sun, which I mean High Point, Mercer, Richmond, Jacksonville, Furman, I I don't even know where some of those schools are. Um they're gonna have a really hard time competing um at this level with some of those bigger schools. I just think um the development in terms of uh, players, you know, coming up from that, you know, middle school, high school age, while it's been increasing a lot over the last, you know, 10 years, uh, it's still in development, and we've got to wait until that really comes forth uh, more so to kind of see a better competition in D1. I buy that, but you know what, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's small steps, and I think we can get there. Um, I mean, you know, we, we've all been sitting around, I think. It's funny, I, I feel like in some of the lacrosse communities, it was talking about, oh well, you know, the West is gonna is gonna catch up eventually, and you know, and until then, Denver really gets to enjoy its kind of lone wolf status out there. And you look at that roster, and it's just 
that's good to California and Utah and Arizona and everywhere um, that, that they get to kind of rake in. And well, while I think West. the South has, has potential, I, I think the West is really, you know, where eventually lacrosse is going to see uh, a huge boost. I mean, it's, it's really popular in high schools out here in California, um, but they, they just need, you know, the, the tougher talent level. Um, and I think, to me, you know, just a couple more football schools, whether it's like USC and BYU or Arizona or Oregon or, you know, Texas, like places like that make that investment. Um, it, it's going to suck for some of the smaller schools to play lacrosse, but at the same time, it's probably going to be better for the sports growth in the long term. I think a yeah, lot of schools we, that you're seeing uh, with the women's programs will probably be the next ones. I, I know Oregon has a women's program now, Florida has a women's program. So I think there is definitely interest in the sport. It's a matter of, of obviously getting the numbers correct with Title IX and everything. But I think there there's enough of a at least familiarity with it in some of those big universities where a men's program might not be too far behind. Yeah, there's uh, the Pac-10 schools. I think could be a a possible you know longer term goal. I mean, in the short term, you're going to have another ACC, ACC school come board. Um, and in that respect, you know, you're, you're looking at like a school like BC, which is in a, it's in Boston, you know, only Harvard, uh, Harvard and BU have programs there. It'd be nice to get a, another big school, you know, New England to, to pick up lacrosse. Um, but I think, uh, in terms of the ACC, you got possibly BC, possibly Florida State, but I also think Louisville is a, a strong possibility. They indicated that. Uh, last summer that they were looking into it. They're doing everything else, they have enough money. (laughs) Well, on that note, why don't we uh, transition to a little halftime. That means beer. So, uh, Jim, I hope you've come prepared for uh, some notes on what you've been drinking lately, beer or otherwise. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, well, I'm just a poor law student, so right now I keep it in Miller Life for the most part, but there's nothing wrong with a Magic Hat number nine, I'll tell you that. Nope. Every I try to make it a tradition. If I'm out at a bar, I'll always order a number nine. It hasn't gone well lately, though. So that tradition might end. My favorite beer, actually, I, I can't find it anywhere around here. The only place I've been able to find it east of uh, Mississippi is in Annapolis, but uh, Fat Tire, it's made out in Colorado, I think in uh, Colorado Springs, maybe. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you really can't get that in the northeast. I've seen it in, like, the Carolinas, but it's 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 hard to get it north of, like you said, like north of the uh, Virginia, Maryland area. I don't know. It's pretty big at most other places, though, so it's kind of weird that their distribution hasn't hit up here yet. It's getting there. I know they're, uh, I know New Belgium's setting up a, uh, it's setting up like an actual like brewing facility down in North Carolina, so they're going to try to service the East Coast with that. I don't know when that's official, though. That'd be cool. That'd be nice. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm a huge uh, Fat Tire fan, and and so it's pretty much like the most available like amber ale you're gonna find on the west coast. And I'm actually going to uh New Belgium in uh in May to be doing a little brewery tour uh while I'm in Colorado. So 
greatly looking forward to that and drinking as much fat tire as I want. Yeah, I've been thinking about going down to the Oma Game Brewery next week because we're done with school, you know, tomorrow. But I, I love they have some pretty good beers, expensive but pretty good. But uh, otherwise, just been really getting onto that cold snap that came out, you know, a couple months ago. Really digging that. Got to support the hometown brewery there. Cold snap's good stuff. That was one of my favorite ones that uh, that Sam Adams has put out in a while. Yeah, they put that um, I think it's either Red Brick or Brick Red, but it's only like you can only get it in a bar on tap and only like in Boston. But it's unbelievable. Just it's one of my favorites. But yeah, you gotta actually go to Boston to get it. It's kind of a pain. I'll have to check it out. Well, not the one that's only on tap in Boston, but I haven't had Cold Snap yet, so I might have to. See if I can find a bottle somewhere. Yeah, it might Dan, be a little late. How about you? I'm sorry, Dan. I was saying it might be a little late on Cold Snap, but I mean I've seen it around still. It's I mean that it wasn't winter though, so hopefully we can find it um, or some places that'll still be carrying it. Uh, let's see. The last couple of days, um, I had Ho Garden for the first time in a while, which is um, you know as anyone who listens to the show every week. Uh, pretty a pretty good Belgian fan of Hogarden makes one of the better ones around. Um, it's very uh, compared to a lot of the other Belgians. It's very has a lot of that like kind of for lack of a better flavor description, um, banana-y or clovey flavor. Um, really heavy on that, but it's it's really mellow in terms of its bitterness. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend it if you in, if you enjoy Belgians. Uh, I also had number nine recently. Um, which is always a solid go-to because you can find it almost anywhere. Um, and then yesterday I had uh, Peroni for the first time in a while. Um, for some reason with Peroni, I, I, yeah, I'm not as big a fan of it. I, I kind of feel the same way as I do about um, about Stella Artois, which I know is a lot of people's like only uh, only favorite beer that's not a big macro brew. Um, even though you can find it anywhere, I guess it probably is technically. Although but, it is uh, distributed by AB InBev. Well, so is everything else at this point. <laughs> but um, <laughs> for whatever reason, like Stella gives, has like a, the, the aftertaste for me is is strange, and I I don't mind it. It's not a bad beer by any means, but a lot some people swear by it, and I don't quite get it. And that's kind of the same way I feel about Peroni. Although I did try it again last night, uh, and then I was back to the Saranac well today. Um, when I got dinner a couple hours ago. Uh, and then I'm hoping in the next couple weekends, depending on what my work schedule is like, to get up to Stratford, Connecticut, to go to Two Roads Brewing. They have um, a big brew pub up there, uh, which has a lot of stuff being released. Um, one of the better Connecticut brewing companies is probably, you know, either that or New England Brewing, which is a little farther away. Um, but I'd definitely like to get up to those two. And I still haven't been to the one in, in my hometown in Stanford, um, which I haven't seen too much coming out from uh, from the half-full guys lately. So hopefully they get some cool spring stuff out. But definitely want to make a, a point of um, getting out to some of these breweries. And then um, I'm also hoping to hit Omegang in the near future once I get back up that way. Uh, Cooperstown is kind of a pain to get to, so I might hold off until Mike Piazza gets inducted into the Hall of Fame and then make it all one big trip. So hopefully the uh, baseball writers can get off of their high horses and make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, 
Is it true that number nine is actually apricot? Because I've never had an apricot, so I don't really know what it tastes like, but someone told me it was an apricot-flavored beer. Is that accurate? No. Uh, I can a... see that flavor, but it's not an apricot beer. It might be like a... It might, it might be like one of the flavors in there, though, because it is pretty fruity. But, mm. like, there's a big difference between, like, a number nine and then if you drink, um... If you drink, like, a Middle Ages apricot, um... Then you really know what you're drinking. Let me see what they say about it, number nine here. I know number nine has some. And you can definitely get like some hop character that may resemble apricots, just like a lot of like West Coast IPAs that taste like either mango or grapefruit, or you get sometimes like some other like tropical fruit finish. Um, that can just be you know an element of hop fermentation. Uh, that said, mm-hmm. I know that for a while on Untapped. Number nine was classified as a fruit beer for some odd reason, and then it was finally changed uh, to a pale ale. Yeah, it was finally changed to a pale ale like a year ago, which which is, I mean, it describes itself as a not-quite-pale ale, which I actually agree with. I think it's a little too heavy for, for a pale ale, but, but nonetheless, yeah. I mean, it, it's such an enjoyable beer. I'm not, like, a huge, like, IPA guy, but my best friend went up to uh, Vermont a couple weeks ago and was telling me he went and got some heady topper. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but, like, I guess you yep. only get it, like, you know, it's very limited, but it's supposed to be unreal. It's regularly rated one of the top two beers in the world. Pretty much everyone it's either, everyone is in either Camp Hetty Topper or Camp Pliny the Elder, and Pliny the Elder is brewed um, up in Northern California, and most West Coast people are Pliny, most East Coast people are um, Hetty Topper, just because there are two different... Uh, styles of IPAs when it comes to the different coasts. Hmm. I actually haven't had a chance I'm to try any after. Me neither, which really pisses me off. Vermont has a crazy... It, it really is only there. Like, that's the problem. Like, Vermont has such a great beer scene. The problem is they keep everything so confined to Vermont. Like, you need to really just, like, go to the brewery. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, I'm looking it. on their website. Everything's, like, Vermont. You can find it... Apparently, at every place that sells alcohol in Vermont, but <laughs> I can't find it anywhere that's not. They don't even list states. It just says Vermont. So, um, yeah. if I'm ever in that part of the world, maybe I'll pick them up. But I have haven't been to this point. So, yeah, I mean, they got Harpoon, they got Long Trail, Magic Hat, like they got a bunch Until of breweries up there. Just looking at a list. Isn't Lawson's yeah. up there too? Yeah. Like, they have, I mean, they have just, like, such a solid collection of beers. And, yeah, like, it sucks for, I mean, it even sucks for people in New York and Connecticut, New Jersey. Like, you're not going to drive up to Vermont, necessarily. Just, like, I'm not going to, you know, like, drive up. I mean, Nevada doesn't have a beer scene. But, like, I'm not going to drive over to like Nevada Atlanta. to get beer. <laughs> but, anyway, yeah, I'll recap my beers quick, and then we'll jump into some quick football recap. Um... Tried to taper down drinking this past week because uh, doing a lot of it lately. Not that I'm an alcoholic or anything, but you know, nothing, nothing wrong with uh, slowing down at times. So, uh, had a, a heavy machinery double IPA from Austin Beer Works um, from Texas, only in Austin. Uh, luckily, had it shipped to me um, from a friend down in Texas. Um, also, I get to enjoy. Had also from Texas uh, the Temptress from Lakewood Brewing. It's a uh, milk, it's an imperial milk stout. 
absolutely delicious. Um, I'm not a huge milk stout guy, but this was just um, like a really, really enjoyable um, dark beer. Um, so for those down in Texas, uh, I would definitely get on that. To those who have access to people in Texas. Um, and then uh, Maximus, double IPA from uh, Lagunitas. I know everyone who calls in is usually a pretty big fan of Lagunitas, uh, Dan and I especially. Um, but Maximus uh, really just takes it up a, a whole nother level. Um, everything everything you would love about about sucks or about IPA, or about their standard IPA, this kind of just doubles up on that. Um, really smooth drink, but just packs a nice hot punch without it being overwhelming. Uh, also got a nice malt back. So for those who, who might be who might be in the middle between East Coast and West Coast IPAs, uh, this kind of is a perfect marriage, at least um, from my point of view. And I'm also going to uh, have a bunch of pricey brewery beers um, here from the brewery down in Placentia um, in Orange County. Um, my buddy and I are, are drinking as well. I'm also going down to uh, Smog City Brewing and uh, Monkish to both in Torrance. So I'll be doing that on Saturday, which will be a fun weekend of beer for me. Yeah. Out of curiosity, I I was having this argument the other day. Shot top, yes or no? No. AD and Bev, no. Although I will say I'm fine with Goose Island and I'm fine with uh, Blue Point. But that's because Mm -hmm. they've left Goose Island alone and Blue Point is too soon to tell. Okay. My own personal beer snob opinion. Dan may disagree or agree. I'm not sure. Or Dan dropped off. Maybe he'll call back in. (laughs) Anyway, until Dan calls back in, uh, I think we'll hop into the spring game a little bit. Uh, Jim, did you get to watch it all? I didn't. Um, I've been working on my bar allocations all last week and the week before, so I've been uh, real busy, but... I do know they were giving away free hot dogs there. So a lot of uh a lot of my fellow students, you know, took a trip over for lunch. Yeah, I mean it's a smart idea. It's a smart idea to give them away and honestly if you're a law student, you're a student at all. You can avoid paying for lunch. I don't really see why, you know, you wouldn't take advantage of that. Oh, hundred percent. I guess, um, is reading about everything afterwards. Um, I only got to catch glimpses uh, here and there. I was <coughs> kind of in and out. Dan's back. Yeah, I don't know why I got tipped. Um, All good. So are we into football we now? Just, yeah, we were into football. Uh, we had just, we realized you were gone when I we were talking about a uh, shot cup, and I had voted no, and then had kind of bounced around with. Uh, with AB and Bev about what's good and bad about them, and I didn't know if, if you agreed that like Goose Island was fine, and we we don't know about Blue Point yet. But I, I was just I'm not the biggest shock top fan. I don't think it's 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 hard by any means, but um, I'm not the biggest shock top fan, admittedly. Um, it's fine. Uh, like Blue Moon is fine. <laughs> like <laughs> if there's a better. Uh, belt like be- better wheat available. I'll obviously not get shock top, but if I'm at a bar and it's like shock top or Coors Light or 
Bud Light, then right. I'm taking shots up and running. Yeah. Mm, I gotta go with Bud Light. Also, apparently there's a place in Port Jefferson on Long Island that sells Petty Topper. Why? Really? Yeah, what? Port Top Shop. Twelve dollars a tan. Twenty. That's bullshit. See, see, this is the is problem with, with with beer culture right now. Is that the people who can get rare things price gouge? That's, that's also awesome. the Long Island, you know, markup too. Eh, I have a friend who grabbed me some, and next time I meet him up, um, when I meet up with them all, yeah, it, that's 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 very for one sixteen ounce tan, like that's pretty. That's yes. pretty. And I I pay decent amount for beer, but I mean the I I paid twelve dollars for what the four pack of Gandhi bought a couple weeks ago, and at least you're getting, you know, four beers there. Yeah, I mean, granted, like, I pay, like, $20, $25 for, like, some brewery stuff, but it's also, like, 15% alcohol. So at least you know if you drink a bottle, you'll be doing pretty well already. <laughs> yeah, your money's worth. Exactly. But Yeah, I also don't feel like driving to Long Island for a lot of things and getting a <laughs> one beer is not, not on, on that list because Long Island is one of my least favorite places in the world to drive. So... As as myself and a lot of other people say on Beer Advocate, at the end of the day, it's just beer. And as much as you can enjoy it, love it, and and sometimes go to lengths to find something, there are limitations. And I feel like if you live in Connecticut, driving to pay twenty dollars for one sixteen ounce can might be might, might be my limitation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next time I'm over there, maybe I'll stop by Port Jefferson. But that's also an annoying place to drive to. In on Long Island once you're already there, so we'll see. If I ever if you're on Long Island, if you're on Long Island, go to Patchogue, um, over by well, over by where Blue Point is. There's um, what the hell is it? There's a place right on like Main Street. It's called uh, Hoptronic. Hmm. They do they do flights have like 20 beers on tap, usually from like the Northeast area, uh, and then they also have like a bottle shop in the back area that you can either buy stuff straight out the fridge and drink it there, or you can buy bottles to go. And they have, like, I mean, they have some beers in California that, like, ran out immediately, um, and they still have them there. Uh, just really cool selection. So if you're ever on the island, anyone who's listening is, uh, I would definitely check that place out. Very cool. So the last eight minutes, uh, we started going into football. Um, Jim said he did not join his fellow um, Law students by going to get a free lunch <laughs> at the dome of hot dogs. So, uh, Dan, who uh, who really impressed you? I mean, I know like Hunt played about as much as we figured he would, and I, we already kind of went through all the, the play calling issues that people may have had. It's a spring game; nobody cares. Like, who who who's the big surprise for you um, in watching the spring game? Um, I thought the backup quarterbacks all looked pretty good. I know they weren't making the most exciting throws, and you know the playbook was what it was. I'm not upset about it. It's a spring game. We don't need to show our hand too much. But I thought all three of the backups 
really looked like they could throw the ball. Wilson had some impressive throws downfield. Um, it was interesting that Lawn got the nod to be the second guy. Obviously, that doesn't mean much, but it's uh, I'm I'm very intrigued by what the, I mean. We we won't see them for another year or two, but I'm very intrigued uh, as to what we have in the in the you know. Uh, the the depth there at quarterback, and we haven't even seen like Allen Edward play yet, so we're I, we're moving in a a good direction, I think. Yeah, I definitely buy that. I think um, the quarterbacks for sure. Um, I mean, from the limited amount I saw him, like Morris seemed to look good. Um, I'm a little worried about the offensive line. And obviously, as we talked about last week, I mean, there really wasn't much to. Uh, there wasn't much you could glean from from what we saw in the secondary, just because of all the injuries. But I think I think in some ways, I think the secondary proved you know just how much we need um, you know guys like Wiggum and guys like Eskridge to be 100%. Um, you know, and and I mean for me, um, you know, I think Eskridge and Wiggum really hold the key. You know, how far this defense can go. Um, and I was talking to Coach Schaefer about it yesterday too, and he even he admitted like the secondary wasn't wasn't doing great last year, but he also pointed out, <laughs> you know, he, he joked that you know despite the fact that, that it looked like I was trying to throw the Texas ball <laughs> at the end there, um, <laughs> was saying you know um, the secondary did did really improve over time, and it was you know it was a question of you know not asking these kids to do too much. Um, and I think that's where we're going to see a lot of progress. I mean, last year, obviously, like, you know, no more Keon Lynn, no more Rashard Anderson. Um, I think fresh bodies uh, might be addition by subtraction um, back there. And I think we saw some of that late in the season uh, with injuries, and I think we're going to see even more of it this year. Yeah, the the defensive backfield is so torn up with injury, as is the O-line that I, I – thought it was hard to glean much from that. Um, the offensive line is one thing where you really need the full set of, uh, of the full complement of players there because they play so much in conjunction with one another that when you have even one injury, it can really throw things off. Or as we saw with Justin Pugh a couple of years ago, um, can really make the, all the difference when they come back. So it, I mean, it's very easy to, to watch a spring game and only focus on the positives and then uh, make excuses for the negatives. But um, I thought, for the most part, there was nothing that really concerned me too much because injuries played such a major part in who was playing and who wasn't. So um, it was it was a fine enough spring game. I mean, it could have been a little more exciting. There were a lot of bubble streams, but there were also a lot of plays that got broken for like 50 yards. Or we had to see Jeremiah, Jeremiah Cobana run 130 yards for a touchdown uh, on a play from midfield. So. I thought there were more exciting plays than we usually get out of these tennis scrimmages. Did uh, Did you guys get to see um, Pinto Thunderbuck play at all? Uh, I know the kids out of uh, Arkansas. I've heard a bit about him just because he's a, a transfer. But um, had, did he get to play at all? How did he look? I didn't notice him too much. I, I don't know how much he was out there. I missed the first couple series. Um, because I wasn't home, uh, but I didn't really see too much from him. But he's apparently had a good, uh, good spring, from what I've heard, what I've read. So hopefully he is among the the seemingly improved wide receiver core we have. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I I really think that that he could be he his emergence could be an X factor. Um, I know I wrote that article the other day uh, defending bubble screens and kind of the short passes to setting up the longer um, throws. And I think you know what, if, if we're going to take advantage of of pulling in a defense, I, I think Funderburk really is is one of several guys. Like at the end of the day, I I don't necessarily think we need to. to like, Royals and Ennestine can obviously outrun defensive backs, but are they going to be able to outjump them? Maybe not. Um, you know, a guy like Thunderberg um, is kind of built for that, and, and I'd like to see us be able to kind of target him down the field more. Um, so, if anything, I think the ability to open up the offense kind of rises and falls on on somebody like him. You may not specifically be him, but I think – Somebody like him um, kind of emerging as a, as a downfield option. We really didn't have much of one last year, you know, after having uh, Marcus Sales in the past, Mike Williams. Like, not having a home, uh, a bona fide home run guy, um, I think, hurt us a bit. And, and that was, you know, in part because of, of, of West's injuries, part because of West's lack of focus, it seemed at times. So I'm curious to see what happens this year. West is kind of like the mystery guy because he was so very much anointed as being the number one receiver last year and just didn't do it. Um, people just haven't talked about him at all. He's still on the team, and he's still the guy with the best pedigree out there. Uh, so if he can bounce back to even give us what he did his sophomore year, and then we get the natural advancement of, of Alvin Cornelius and Broyled, who looked amazing on, on Saturday, is actually – somewhat amazing or even good, um, and then Thunderbird gives us anything and Brizzly's out there. Like There's actually a lot of interesting pieces at the receiving position, um, if not proven pieces. Uh, so I have, I have some hope. I think there's just they'll find a way to at least put, get enough out of guys to, uh, to make this a, a team that can move the ball. And then Hunt um, probably had the least exciting performance out of any of the quarterbacks, but it wasn't bad. It was just you know, we the other guys are. It's it's always fun to see new players play. It's like opening up a, you know, a present on Christmas, especially at the quarterback position. So Hunt just kind of did his job, and I have no doubt that he'll be at least, you know, more like he was in the last two games than he was early on. I guess on that note, uh, we'll end it there. Uh, Dan, as always, a good time, and Jim, thanks for uh, taking some time out to chat lacrosse with us. That's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, be sure to subscribe via the new link um, to iTunes. Uh, For Trinians and Absolute Magicians, uh, Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink. I'm John. That was Dan and Jim. Go Orange this weekend. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99. Bedroom sets from $399.99. Dining sets from $299.99 and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.